Hello there, you, whoever you are. Uh, my name is Neil, and you are listening to a podcast that I make. The podcast is called Heal Face. Right now, I'm just kind of checking the levels. They look good. Hopefully, my voice sounds good on whatever device you're listening to it on. Headphones, car speakers, I don't know. Um, I got some notes in front of me. So what I'm going to do now is get this podcast started. podcast, which is called The Heel Face Podcast. I am your host, Neil Gorman, and I am here for two reasons. First, to talk about professional wrestling. Second, to chew bubblegum. And wouldn't you know it, I'm all out of bubblegum. So here's the structure of the show. I'm going to divide it up into a couple of segments. The first segment is called the one, two, three. And in this segment, what I plan to do is talk about three things that are going on in the world of professional wrestling that have caught my attention that I think are interesting. And I've decided that I have something to say about them. So the first thing I'm going to talk about in the one, two, three today is the WWE has announced that they are going to be doing another big international event. This time they are going all the way to Australia. I think that this is a really cool move uh, by the WWE for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is that they have some really cool Australian wrestlers. You have Rhea Ripley, you have Grayson Waller, you have uh, Bronson Reed. These are three guys, or two guys and one woman from Australia. And I think it'll be really cool for them to be able to go home and perform there. I think that's going to be really, really awesome. The second thing that I think is really cool about this is that it is, in my opinion, revealing of the direction that the WWE seems to be moving in now. And this is a direction that I suspect will accelerate as we move into the TKO era of WWE, which is really just getting started. So what do I mean by the direction that the WWE is headed in? I'm going to try to explain that a little bit here. So the WWE was a wrestling promotion back in the territorial days. It was the WWF. You know, Vince McMahon buys it from his dad in 1982. And when he buys it, he is a guy who's taking a look out at the world. He's seeing what's going on out there. And he's seeing this new thing at the time, cable television. Cable television, Vince McMahon knew, would make it possible for a wrestling promotion to break out of the territorial fiefdom that it had been operating within. So at the time, the WWF was operating primarily in the United States, you know, American Northeast. It was a, a big territory and he was, had his wrestlers on TV there. And there was all these other little promotions that had their wrestlers on TV in different areas. And the reason that that model worked for as long as it did was that prior to cable television, you know, you had to have a antenna that was broadcasting your television show out to different TV sets. And those 
antennas and the transmitters that they were attached to were only so powerful. They could only reach so far. And so it wasn't actually technologically possible to have wrestling from St. Louis be seen all the way in Baltimore. You couldn't do that. The technology wasn't there. Cable television comes along and Vince McMahon sees this solves that technological shortcoming. It makes it possible to no longer be subject to the limitation that had been the limitation for so long. And he decides that he's going to take WWF at the time, which is now WWE, and he's going to put it on TVs all over the United States. Now, of course, at the time that he did this, there were people who thought it was a brilliant move. And there was a lot of people who thought that it was a you know, crazy move or that it was a nasty move of a thing that he shouldn't have done, but it did work. We're sitting here today. You're listening to this podcast about wrestling. You probably watch WWE wrestling. Uh, and if you don't watch it now, you probably have watched it at some point in your life. It has become the absolute most dominant wrestling promotion in the United States. And I would say the most dominant wrestling promotion in the entire world. I cannot think of any other wrestling promotion other than AEW, which very recently had its first international show where it went to London, other than the WWE that puts on events in places like Saudi Arabia, Puerto Rico. It's, like I said recently, they announced they're going to be going to Australia. They're, they're doing this. And that's the direction that I think they're going to continue to move in. And to say that a little bit more clearly, a direction where they continue to expand. The WWE has expanded to the point where it can't expand anymore within the continental United States, or it can't expand much more. I guess, you know, they could go to book venues that they haven't booked before. They could increase the number of people who are watching wrestling or going to wrestling shows here in the United States. And I think that they're probably going to continue to try to do that, but they're, they're pretty much saturated here. I, I don't know how much more they're going to be able to move the needle here in the United States, but that doesn't mean that they can't tap into international markets that have people who are really interested in the kind of show, the spectacle that the WWE can put on. And I think that's what we're going to be seeing a lot more of here as things move forward. We're going to be seeing the WWE moving into other spaces, other nation states, other parts of the world, and really trying to make that, I think, a more regular thing than it is now. We saw when, I think this was pretty recently, it was when the, the most recent premium live event that the WWE did in the United Kingdom. Right now I'm spacing, I can't think of the name of it. John Cena did a guest spot there. He talked about bringing WrestleMania to London. That's the kind of thing that, that makes me think even more. You know, this is the future for the WWE. And that's great, I think, for a lot of reasons. They have a lot of talent in WWE, and I think they have a large enough, deep enough, talented enough roster to be able to expand into those areas. Since it has merged with the UFC to create this entity called TKO, I think we're going to start to see the same thing happening with the UFC. I don't really watch UFC that much, but you know, I know what it is, of course, and I'm a little bit interested in it. I'm more interested in it now, but it is something that is owned by the same entity that owns the WWE. So I think that this is what we're going to be seeing. So that's my first thought. WWE going to do a big Australia show. I think we're going to be seeing more announcements like that in the future. And I think that that's the kind of thing that the WWE is going to be focusing on is expansion of its product 
outside of the United States. Second item in the one, two, three, Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill is this amazingly talented wrestler whose contract recently came with AEW recently came to an end. And it seems like there's going to be, if everything that I'm reading online is to be trusted is to, is correct. Very, very, very little time before we start seeing her on WWE. The question is, where is she going to appear in WWE? Is she going to start at NXT or is she going to start right away on the main roster? Now, the last big AEW star who moved from AEW to WWE was Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes bypassed NXT. He did not do that. He went right to the main roster. That makes a lot of sense. You know, Cody Rhodes was somebody who had performed in WWE prior to the creation of AEW. He had done a developmental stint in Ohio Valley Wrestling, OVW, which is a by interesting side note here, that promotion which is currently kind of being, I think, mainly directed by Al Snow, is on TV again, right? Netflix just did this really interesting documentary series called Wrestlers, and it is focused on OVW and what's been going on there. I don't know if you're watching that. I'm watching that. I'm about three episodes in. I ju- I'm about to, I just finished the third one. I'm about to start the fourth. I think it's a pretty cool thing. So if you're interested in... And the reason, let me back up here. I was interested in it because I am a busy dude. I have three small kids. I have two jobs. I am a university professor. I teach full-time, and I am also a psychoanalyst and a psychotherapist. I see patients. So my life is really, really full. I love watching professional wrestling, but I only have a limited amount of time that I can devote to watching professional wrestling because there's just so much other stuff that I need to do on a daily basis. And that means for me that I really only watch WWE and AEW now. Every once in a great while, I might watch some New Japan or I might watch some Impact Wrestling, some NXT, but that's actually pretty rare. And, you know, it's, and it's, if I do that, it's because there's a match happening there that I'm kind of interested in seeing. And I, I don't really keep up with those products. I wish that I had the time to keep up with them. I just don't. And I don't go any deeper than that for sure. I don't watch uh, Game Changer Wrestling I don't watch a lot of the indies, and it's a shame because there's some really, really interesting things happening in the indies. Ohio Vest, Ohio Valley Wrestling is one of those promotions that I think is actually doing some really interesting things. I would never be able to pay attention to it, and having Netflix make that show, Wrestlers, is a, has been really interesting for me to because it, it gives me some insight into what's going on in the indies, and I really, really like that. Anyways, that was a bit of a digression. Sorry about that. I was talking about Jade Cargill. And whether or not she was going to start at NXT or WWE, I talked about how Cody Rhodes bypassed NXT, started on the main roster, mentioned that he'd already done his developmental stint at Ohio Valley Wrestling. That's how I got on that tangent. So I he just went right to the main roster. I think that was the right move to do with Cody Rhodes. Is it the right move to do with Jade Cargill? Could she handle it on the main roster? In my opinion, yeah, I think she's ready. I think she could totally go up to the main roster. I understand that that might not be the best move for WWE. Maybe there's some talent that would not like it if that happened. Maybe the talent would think that she needs to do a stint at NXT so that they can she can kind of learn the WWE style, which is very different, I think, than the AEW style. And, you know, that's an important thing to consider. So I, I could see that being a thing too. However, here's what I was thinking. I actually think, even though she's ready, in my opinion, and could start on the main roster... 
I think it would be cool to start her at NXT because of an opportunity that exists if the WWE does that. Hear me out on this. So imagine that Jade Cargill starts wrestling at NXT. Who's somebody else right now who's wrestling at NXT and on the main roster? One of those people who's kind of able to do a bit of both. Dominic Mysterio. Dominic Mysterio has been doing NXT and the main roster. And I think that that has been good for NXT. I think that his presence there has actually gotten more people interested in what's going on at NXT. So he's there doing his thing. I think that it would be really cool if you could somehow create a story where Jade Cargill and Dominic Mysterio cross paths. Imagine Dominic Mysterio being this amazing heel that he is, getting the kind of heat that he does. If he sort of like, I don't know, bumps in, like literally, like, you know, shoulder bumps Jade Cargill. You know, I think it'd be really cool if he did that and Jade Cargill Cargill knocked him down or something like that. And then he got bothered by it. I don't know. There's a lot of ways you could engineer the two of them coming into contact. And I think that would be a really interesting way to start a story that could then lead to Jade Cargill and Rhea Ripley getting into it. And that is the story that I really want to see. So I think you start her at NXT, bring Dominic Mysterio in, have Dominic Mysterio be the person who leads to a confrontation between Jade Cargill and Rhea Ripley. I think that that would be really, really cool. Third thing that I want to talk about, uh, this is actually going back a little bit here. Uh, it was the, there was a promo a couple weeks back. Was it maybe only one week back, two weeks back at most where MJF did this thing called Steiner math when he was talking about his chances of beating Samoa Joe. I, you know, watched that promo and I thought that MJF showed once again, how amazing he is at performing when he's not wrestling, doing the part of the the performance of a professional wrestler that is not the in-ring storytelling. It's when he's doing promos. I mean, that dude is incredible. When you put a mic in his hand, he's incredible when there's a camera watching him and he is doing his thing and he did it there. So I watched him do that promo, made me laugh. I thought it was really funny. One of the best parts of that promo though, in addition to MJF doing what he did was Adam Cole standing there on the right hand side of the screen. If you're watching the TV doing his little things to kind of add to what MJF was saying. He was using his hands. He was using his face. It was really, really good. That actually showed, I think, one of the things which I think is significantly undervalued in professional wrestling, and which is this incredibly bombastic, you know, thing, professional wrestling. It's it's over the top. And I think the things that I pay attention to a lot and that other people pay attention to a lot are the wrestlers who are doing things and performing in ways that are also over the top, but, and I'm seeing more and more of this happening, and I'm really happy about this. There's also these ways that wrestlers can do things that are subtle. The original master of subtlety was Jake the Snake Roberts. I mean, that guy, he would talk slow. He would talk quietly. He would do things with his face, and he drew people in without being this kind of like loud, crazy, yelling person like you know Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior was at that time, or Roddy Piper. I mean, he was he would talk in a way, and he would pause, and he would just look at the camera, and he would just give it a look. And it was just in the look. You could, there, he could communicate so much with just his face. And he took advantage of the fact that wrestling was something that wasn't only a live event, but was also 
a televised event and he started to use that. And I think that that was something that he did incredibly well. Today we see, I think, everybody in the Bloodline storyline, Paul Heyman, Roman Reigns, Solo Sokoa, the Usos, Sami Zayn, they were masters of doing this as well. They could, there would be times where they were on TV and nobody was talking. It was just all using their bodies and their faces, the way that they they would hold their shoulders, the way that they would walk around, the way that they would look at each other. And in those subtle things, there was whole stories being told and they were, they're incredible at it. So in this MJF promo, you had Adam Cole over on the side and he was doing that. He was adding these subtle things and that, that subtlety, that's really awesome. I think it's something that is undervalued in professional wrestling. And I I just think that Cole showed that he can really do that as well. He can do the subtle thing. So that, that was something that was really interesting. But again, that was a bit of a digression. I was talking about the MJF doing Steiner math thing. I went back and I went to YouTube and I searched out the original Scott Steiner promo where he did Steiner math and rewatched it. And I, something that I had forgotten is, has now been brought back into my conscious awareness. When Scott Steiner did that original promo, do you know who he was talking about? He was talking about Samoa Joe here MJF is talking about Samoa Joe. And so that just showed me that MJF did this really cool thing. One, he gave us a really great promo, which was really funny for anybody who was watching. I think this could be somebody who is new to professional wrestling and they would watch that and they would think it was great. But if you're somebody who's maybe an old school fan, somebody who has been watching wrestling for a long time and you watched that, you might, I didn't do this, but you might make that connection that, oh, wait a minute, this is MJF also doing, not only doing a cool promo, but he's also paying homage to uh, another really cool wrestler, Scott Steiner. And he's also hearkening back to when Steiner was facing Samoa Joe. Here's MJF talking about Samoa Joe. Steiner was talking about Samoa Joe. I don't know. I just thought that, that was a really cool thing. I, and, you know, real big hat tip to MJF for putting that together. I saw some stuff online where Tony Khan said that that was like all MJF's idea. That wasn't creative bringing that to him saying like, Hey, we think it would be really cool if you did the Steiner math thing. That was MJF deciding that it would be really cool for him to do that Steiner math thing. And that reveals, I think that MJF is somebody who is a big wrestling fan and that makes him very relatable to people like me. And I'm assuming you, whoever you are, that you're a big wrestling fan. And that is MJF is going through this transition, I think from heel to kind of tweener leaning more heavily towards babyface, making him relatable is something that really helps with that. So that's my one, two, three WWE Australia show growing in a more worldwide way. Jade Cargill, she could go to NXT or the main roster. I think if you bring her to NXT, you can have her tangle it up with Dominic Mysterio. That leads to Rhea Ripley. That'd be cool. And MJF, the Steiner math promo, Adam Cole really added something to that, which is really cool. And I just thought it was a great promo and a really cool deep cut that new fans could enjoy and old fans could enjoy. Really, really awesome hat tip to MJF. Let's move on to the next segment.
All right. The next segment I'm calling the undercard. This is something that I think is cooking and it might take a little bit for it to get going, but it's something that I want to pay attention to. And what it is today is the latest from CM Punk. CM Punk is somebody who people love or hate, but this is a guy who understands the attention economy of professional wrestling and just, I think, the attention economy generally, I would argue, better than anybody who is working in wrestling today. So CM Punk got fired with cause from AEW. We all know this. We've all been reading the things. We all have watched the stuff. We we know that this has happened. Tony Khan did a big statement, talked about how he was afraid for his life, so on and so forth. Uh, a lot of people are talking about this. You know who's not talking about it? CM Punk. Now, maybe he's not allowed to talk about it. Maybe there's legal reasons why he isn't talking about it. I, I don't know, but he's not talking about it. And because he's not talking about it and all these other people are talking about it, I think that that is making CM Punk more interesting to everybody. And I think that he knows that it's making him more interesting to everybody. And what he did recently is he had a commentary gig. He was a commentator at some thing. And the person who he was commentating with said like, oh, you know, we have a lot that we could talk about. And CM Punk said, ah, what, are you, what are you talking about? What do, what do we have to talk about? He makes that remark and it's a tease and it's, it's so good. It shows that he gets it, that he knows that people want him to say something and he's not saying it. And by th- this is what wrestling does so well when it's working well, right? When we have a really cool wrestling storyline, a wrestling storyline that's cooking, that's working, you have a wrestler, a baby face who is moving towards something. And you want them to succeed. You want to find out what's going to happen next. And heels kind of get in the way and they prevent you from getting what you want. And they make you interested in what's going to happen next, right? This is so a match will happen. A baby face will be poised to win. A heel will interfere. And when the heel interferes, you know, it turns out that it's very near the end of the show and you can't find out what's going to happen. You got to come back next week. So CM Punk understands, I think that this is what wrestling fans are conditioned towards. And he is using that to his advantage. And he's getting us really interested in whatever it is that this guy is going to do next. And I am really, really impressed with that. Now, the other thing that he said at this event where he was doing commentary is that he's going to have a lot of time on his hands for two months. That might not be exactly what he said, but it was something to that effect. Interesting comment. Again, he understands the attention economy. Because in two months, what's happening? Well, Survivor Series is happening. Where is Survivor Series happening? In Chicago. Wait, Chicago? CM Punk Chicago? The same one. Not the other Chicago. CM Punk Chicago. Yeah. So now you have all this speculation going on. People are like, what? Is CM Punk going to be at Survivor Series? Is, is he going to show up? You know, I don't know if he's going to show up or not, but I'm really interested to find out if he's going to show up or not. I am on the edge of my seat wondering what's going to happen if CM Punk's going to show up at Survivor Series. I'm going to be watching Survivor Series and I'm going to be excited because of this. It's a hint. It's a tease. And if he doesn't show up at Survivor Series, maybe he's going to do something else in two months. You know, if he doesn't show up at Survivor Series, what's going to happen? 
is a bunch of people are probably going to go online and they're going to be like, oh, everybody thought CM Punk was going to show up at Survivor Series and he didn't. So he made this cryptic comment about he has a lot of time on his hands for two months and about two months is about up. So what's he going to do? And people are going to be thinking about him, talking about him, writing about him, doing things like I'm doing now podcasts about him. The, the dude gets it. You know, it's going to be really interesting two months from now to see what CM Punk does. Is he going to show up at Survivor Series or not? I, I don't know. I'm, but man, I'm interested to see what that dude does next. All right, so that's the undercard. Moving on once again to the next segment of the show. All right, for this segment of the show, this is the mid-card. And in the mid-card, I am going to talk about something that I think it's a story or a wrestler who I think is moving they're in the mid card position solidly but i think that they might be poised to either move up or possibly move down today i'm going to be talking about two wrestlers one from aew one from wwe and i would say that i think that both are kind of poised to move up the card so let's start with the wwe wrestler the wwe wrestler right now who i am really paying attention to who's doing little things that i've caught my attention is Zelina vega I have noticed that Zelina Vega has added different things to her ring gear. And I have noticed that she has gotten off social media platforms and has decided to really, I think, commit herself exclusively to Twitch, where she will be using that as her main way to interact with people who are interested in Zelina Vega and what she is up to. And I think that the LWO is actually poised to enter into the next chapter of whatever story it is telling. And I think that this is going to be a chapter where you start to see something happen between Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar. And Selena Vega is a member of the LWO, and she is an incredible performer. She is somebody who, when she had her match against Rhea Ripley in Puerto Rico, that was an incredible match. And I think every single time she has a match... It's a really good match. I don't think Zelina Vega does bad matches. She is a really, really great performer. And I suspect that the WWE knows that. Right now, I don't know that they have anything they can do with her. They have, they, there's not enough going on, I think, in the WWE women's division. I, they, they don't have enough current kind of storylines going on but they have a lot of really incredible talent there. And that's great. I mean, it's like when you're in that position, it is like having your, your, the people who are your starters, Rhea Ripley, uh, EOS guy doing their thing, but you have people who are also on, on the bench that you can get in and, and they would be incredible. They would score some points when you put them in there. It, the, there's some really cool people at WWE in the women's roster. And I would like to see more of them. Zelina Vega is the one who I want to see more of the most right now. I, I can't even exactly say what it is about her that makes me say that, but there is something about her that makes me want to see the WWE put her in more storylines. I want to see the WWE do stuff with her because I think it will be cool whatever it is that they do. Uh, actually, I did think of one thing that would be really a, a good reason that I want this. I really like watching Zelina Vega hit the code red the way that she's so good at that move. And she's, she's so good at everything that she does in the ring. 
I would like to see them use her more, not only in the ring, but maybe have her do some more promos, that sort of thing. But I think she's one of those performers who's maybe ready to move from the mid card and start moving up a bit. And I would like to see that. So that's uh, the person from the WWE that I am paying attention to. The person from AEW, this isn't going to be a surprise to anybody, is Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe is somebody who is one of my favorite wrestlers ever. And the reason that he's one of my favorite wrestlers ever is that he's this guy who every place he goes, he manages to work himself into a great story. Wherever he goes, he tells a story and the story is good. He's done this in everywhere. Everywhere he's ever been, he's done this. And he's doing this now in AEW. I have watched the promo that he did with MJF where they were both in the ring. The way that MJF is being super bombastic and like doing the MJF thing where he's just like, you know, gonna, he he gets kind of, he's in your face. He's, he's crazy. He says stuff, Ah, right? He's, he's doing that. And here's Samoa Joe. He is calm. He responds. He's like, I see what you're doing. You're baiting me. I'm not going to take your bait kid. It's so good. He is not, he, he does what he does well and he does it well every time. Samoa Joe's character is great. He's just this big, like thug of a dude. And even though he's a heel, he's a heel that when he wins, you're in a, in a weird way. I think you're probably going to be happy because it's Samoa Joe. And if he loses, you're going to be happy because you know, he's the heel and he lost and that's fun too. He's, he's great. I mean, this dude is so, 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 so good. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of everything Samoa Joe does. I'm a fan of the way that he wrestles because he, he has his style. It's a style that works for him. His in-ring storytelling is believable. The in-ring psychology that he constructs, believable. I, I buy into it. The character that he plays, the promos that he cuts, everything that dude does is super cool to me. And I put him here because I think it's possible that Samoa Joe could actually beat MJF. I think that could happen. I don't know if it'll happen, of course, right? But I think it could. I think that could work. I also think the way that he's, like, Samoa Joe could be somebody who, if he wins, that could help cement, solidify, strengthen the bond between MJF and Adam Cole, which is a thing that everybody right now is into for a, a whole bunch of reasons. And if you, the, the title is the thing that could kind of come between the two of them. That's this tension that always exists in that relationship, which is cool. So hear me out on this. Imagine MJF loses to Samoa Joe. He loses the title him and, and maybe he loses the title because Samoa Joe attacks Adam Cole and MJF has to make a choice between helping Adam Cole and losing his title or keeping his title but having Adam Cole get really hurt by Samoa Joe. And let's say that MJF surprises us all by helping Adam Cole and losing the title. Ooh, that's interesting, right? So that happens, right? So now here's big bad Samoa Joe. He's got the title. He's taken it from MJF who, who lost the title because he was a good friend. And let's say that what happens next is that Adam Cole gets a shot at the title and he wins it. Now you bring the title back into the MJF Adam Cole dynamic 
and it's more interesting than if you just keep it with MJF, I think. So that's something that I think could be really cool. I think we could see Samoa Joe win this thing. Again, don't know if that's going to happen or not, but that's where my mind goes when I think about it. And so you've heard it. Don't know what you think, but uh, that's what I think. Moving on to my last segment of the show. segment of the show is the main event. One big thing that I think is important in the world of professional wrestling and today on the main event, it is the AEW event Grand Slam. This is an incredible card. I pulled it up earlier and I'm going to just read this to you. All right. So you have MJF versus Samoa Joe. You have Soraya versus Tony Storm. You have Eddie Kingston versus Claudio. You have John Moxley versus Ray Phoenix, and you have Chris Jericho versus Sammy Guevara. That's going to be on Dynamite tomorrow. Let's stop here for a second, and let's just go through that one more time. MJF versus Samoa Joe, a title match. Soraya versus Tony Storm, a title match. Eddie Kingston versus Claudio, a title match. Title versus title there. Moxley versus Ray Phoenix a title match. And then you have Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, not a title match, but a match that has such a great story behind it. Wow. And here's the thing. These are all matches that I would expect to see on a pay per view. These are pay per view level matches. And they are all every single one of those matches. Every single one of them is going to be on dynamite on TV, on TV. What on TV? That is an incredible move by AEW to do it that way. That reminds me of when WCW launched Monday Nitro and they were, that launch is one of those things, which is incredible. So one of the, in case people didn't know this, the first episode of Nitro was on a night when WWE didn't have programming on. They, the U S open had bumped them off TV. So there was no wrestling on that Monday night. Usually there would have been raw, but it was off. So WCW launched their first show on a night where there was no competition with the WWE. They did it live. At the time, Raw was this taped thing. WCW Nitro is live. And they actually put matches in there that would be pay-per-view matches. They put content on there that was like pay-per-view content, but they put it on TV. The big thing of that first episode was Lex Luger defecting from the WWE and showing up at Monday Nitro. Big surprise and, and get to kind of tangling it up with Hulk Hogan a little bit. What? You know, this was this was amazing, right? That they were doing this and they were doing it on TV, not a pay-per-view, on TV. And this, I think, was one uh, all the things that I just mentioned are some of the reasons why WCW Nitro ended up getting traction, and eventually that traction led to it winning the Monday night ratings wars for 83 weeks, like it did, right? Because they put incredible matches and incredible content on regular TV. They didn't, they didn't just give you kind of like, eh, meh stuff on TV and save the good stuff for the pay-per-view. No, they, they put good stuff on pay-per-view as well, but they recognized that it was that they needed to build towards those pay-per-views by putting really compelling matches and really compelling storytelling on TV. You look at a card like this again, MJF Samoa Joe, Soraya, Tony storm, 
Eddie Kingston, Claudio, Moxley, Ray Phoenix, Jericho, Sammy Guevara. That's great. Those Every single one of those matches is going to be awesome. And we know that, and it's going to be on regular TV. That's a brilliant move, I think, by Tony Khan in AEW. Uh, then there's going to be the, the Rampage stuff, which will be taped, and we'll, we'll see it later. But you're going to see the Acclaimed versus Dark Order. You're going to see the Mogul Embassy uh, versus the Elite. You're going to see Darby Allen and Sting versus Christian Cage and Luchasaurus and Orange Cassidy and Hook uh, and Chris Statlander versus Anna Jade, Matt Menard, and uh, Angelo Parker. Again, that's that's a really cool card. I'm really interested to see how this is going to go. This And it's going to be on TV. It's Those matches are going to be on TV. I, I, I cannot stress it. I want like in your mind on TV, see those words, take out your highlighter and highlight them and then underline them with red pen and then put a big explanation mark next to it because that's a really, really cool thing that AEW is doing. That I think is the main event for this episode, the first episode of the heel face podcast. Okay. I'm going to wrap it up there. There's a massive amount of wrestling podcasts out there that you could be listening to. For some reason you decided to listen to this one. A new one, one that just showed up. It's my first time doing a wrestling podcast. So thanks for taking the time to download and listen to this. I really appreciate it a ton. I hope that if I make more of these things, you'll come back and listen to more of these things that I make. Until next time, folks, please make some glorious mistakes and watch some professional wrestling. Take care.